Hey everybody, this is Chuck Marone. Before we get started today, there's a couple things I want to go over. Uh, first, we're having a regional gathering in North Texas, and I want to make sure that everybody is aware of that. It's October 3rd, 4th, and 5th. We're going to kick it off in the evening on the 3rd with a curbside chat at UT in Arlington. That one is free and open to the public. The next two days is the gathering on the 4th. Uh, we're going to have lots of uh, experts from around the country, uh, people from the Dallas-Fort Worth region who are doing fantastic work, and we're going to feature them throughout the day. We also got plenty of things to get you connected to other strong towns advocates from around the region and around the country. And uh, then in the evening, we're going to have a private screening of the film Owned, a new documentary by Giorgio Angelini. Uh, Giorgio will be there. He's the director and the producer. He'll be there to present the film, to answer questions. And of course, I will be there too because I'm actually in the documentary. Um, Friday then, uh, we're going to get everybody back together and for the first half of the day, uh, we're going to work with people to develop your own action plan for how you uh, implement Strong Towns in your own community. We want to get you connected uh, to the broader Strong Towns movement and help you actually uh, start making some really positive change in your hometown. Uh, go to our website, strongtowns.org. Uh, you can go to the events page and click on the regional gathering. Uh, you can either go directly to uh, Texas slash gathering, um, or you can go to Eventbrite, uh, which is where our signup is going on, and get signed up today. We have a limited number of tickets. They are starting to go, and uh, don't want you to miss out. The other thing I want to make sure people know is that this week, uh, we switched this podcast to Monday. Uh, we did that on purpose because we are introducing two new podcasts this week. Um, we're going to be uh, introducing uh, the Little Things podcast. Um, that's going to come out on Wednesdays from now on. Uh, it's not going to run in this feed. We're going to run it this week in this feed, but it, you're going to have to go on to uh, iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts and get signed up to that. Uh, that will be available on Wednesday. And then on Friday, we're kicking off a new podcast called UpZoned. Um, UpZoned, uh, again, we'll run in this feed for the first time, but after that, you're going to have to go and get signed up. Uh, the Little Things is a interview format uh, where we're talking to members and, and people doing interesting work within the Strong Towns movement. And then on Fridays, the, uh, the UpZone podcast is a discussion format uh, looking at current events and something uh, going on in the news. So welcome you to uh, enjoy those in this feed this week and then uh, look to get signed up on those in the coming weeks because you're not going to want to miss the great content coming out from Strong Towns. Thanks, everybody, and enjoy the rest of the show. You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. This is Chuck Marone. Welcome back to the Strong Towns Podcast. This is our like CNU Savannah wrap up podcast, and I couldn't leave here 
without speaking to my friend, Lynn Richards. Hi, everyone. Are you, I know we screw this up every year and it's because I don't care about titles at all. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I said like, you're, you're, the, you're the CEO and then you're like, no, I'm the president. And then I said, you're the president and like, no, I'm the CEO. I'm the president and CEO. You're both. You're just both. Yeah. I joke sometimes with Lee Sobel, my friend, and I was like, yeah, just call me queen. It's much easier. Okay, but, 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 but that is like so arrogant and awful. Um, and, and anyway, you can only do that with close friends after you've had a couple of drinks, sure, but it's a joke. Sure. Anyway. No, that's, that's cool. <laughs> Thank you for doing this. I know we d- we're trying to squeeze it in and your schedule's crazy and my schedule's a little bit busy too. <laughs> I kind of feel I, I've, but we've done this every year have, from the beginning started, before so, you started. Before I started, yeah. yeah. So we have it, it. Feels like a Christmas tradition. Like it, you have to have that that thing. I can't not do a Congress without talking to Chuck. Cool. So as quick it is, I'm so grateful for everything that you've done. Well, thank you. I'm so grateful for you being here and for making time for me. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Well, that's very kind. Part of what I like lament about the Congress now is that you've got me so busy. Like I've got me so busy. My staff has me so busy. I don't get to partake as much as I would like to in the past. So I wind up partaking like vicariously through friends and other people who are out. This has a vibe of a very different Congress. It's record breaking. This is a very different place than where we were when we first talked. So tell me about the record breaking part because I'm not I'm not keen on that. Like, I don't know that part. Go ahead and tell me. (laughs) So this is a record-breaking Congress. I just got the latest number. We're at 1611 participants. Um, I haven't gotten the demographics of the number of countries represented. Usually it's somewhere between 25 and 35. Sure. Dozens, we call it. Probably every state in the union. There's always one state that doesn't send somebody, and it's a different state every year. Really? But what's interesting is since I started in Buffalo in 2014 and went to the newcomers breakfast with about 30 people, this year it was, and as have previous years, it's standing room only, people sitting on the floor, lining the walls. And we have made a huge push in giving out scholarships and trying to bring in new voices, really looking at the the registration structure to bring in more local governments. The only way that we are going to be successful in our collective mission, Strong Town, CNU, the firms, like it's our collective mission, which is to build more great places, Right. period, right? For people, the human scaled places that are lively, vibrant, thriving, places for everybody, you know, of all demographics. The only way we're going to do that is to expand the tent. And at the same time, keep those aspects that are so critical to new urbanism, new urbanists and the movement. Make sure that we're always honoring and deepening the technical dialogue, the best practices, the innovations, challenging one another. You're doing it that way. No, that is going to, in a couple of years, lead to this unintentional outcome. That friendly critique, debate, diving in and creating new solutions. That we have to maintain that level of excellence and that level of clarity of mission at the same time bringing in new voices and expanding the tent and that's that's the push pull that i feel at every congress tell As- me if i'm tell me if i'm right i look around and i see like a lot of my old friends i've been coming to cnu every year since atlanta so i don't know what that was 2010 2011 I've not been here as long as many people, but I'm starting to feel like I'm more than established here. 
I look around, I see a lot of my old friends, but I see a lot of younger people. I see a lot of people who don't seem like what we at Strong Town call apes, the architects, planners, engineers. They're the they're people who are coming from different places. <laughs> I see a lot of people who are not white. I see a lot of women. Not that CNU has been an exclusive place in the past, but this is starting to feel like a really big place that is reflecting America. Getting it, there. It, it is by no means there yet, but it's getting it's there. It's getting there. Like, this is my anecdotal observations. Are the numbers showing this? Is this what you're seeing? Is this what you're getting the same feedback? Yeah. You know, Chris Elisera reached out to me this year and said, I want to bring eight African-American pastors you know, done. The problem that I see when we start talking about diversity, to be frank, is it it becomes a black-white issue. And actually, I had so many people come up to me and thank me for bringing in, believe it or not, Dan Cathy, who opened up the Congress this year, referencing God, that the Christian conservatives felt that their voice was being reflected. And then you had Julian Agamemnon talking about social justice and, and cultural competencies. And then we have Jan Gell, who appealed across the board to longtime CNU members because of his depth of knowledge and his work. So the trick is, if you're expanding the tent and bringing in new voices, we have to make sure that we are honoring and including the wide range of political spectrum from liberal Democrats to Trump supporters, the wide range of the religious spectrum, the wide range of disciplines, but keep, again, that core nugget that we want to build great urban places. We want to remove the impediments to urbanism. How do we do that? And to do it in a way that can accelerate the pace of change and respect folks. You've been here now. How many Congresses have... Oh, well, I came to a lot of Congresses. No, before I mean, I got how many job. have you been like the, the queen? head of? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going oh to that... start using that. I know oh. because you said that because we're doing a podcast and it feels like we're just friends chatting. And then you realize like you're on the mic. So I'm just going to keep saying that because I see it embarrasses you. It turns your face red. So uh, this is how my... long have you been the queen? <laughs> this is my fourth as the head and the fifth. Yeah, because Buffalo was the first, so right. Buffalo. Yep. But I was uh, you were in transition. I was there in transition. To, in I wasn't Minnesota. in charge yep. of it. And then uh, so Dallas, Detroit, Seattle, and then Savannah. Right. What do you feel you've learned? I know you. You could go on for a long time because you're a kind of person who ingests those kind of things. But when we look at like pulling off this show here, this year, and we look back and say, okay, here's the here's the like very intentional things that. Under my leadership with this board, and I understand you're running a nonprofit, so it's not all you, it's, it's other people involved too. But what are the things that you feel like, okay, here's a change that has been made over the last four years that I'm particularly proud of, that I think was particularly important to making this Savannah experience a success? Um, I can point to a really good one, and, and it's going to sound weird, but... Um, it's okay. <laughs> but again, we're, we're just talking You're like the queen. Friends. You can sound weird. <laughs> You need to focus on outcomes. Like, what is it that you want to achieve? And the biggest change from four years ago to now has been explicitly stating a goal for what we want to happen for the local host committee. The local host committee 
was here for years doing new urbanism, and they will be here for years after. We are here for a blip of a time. So an explicit outcome that I did for Savannah that I haven't done for the others, which is why I think this is record-breaking and the vibe of it, is that I explicitly stated to Kevin Klinkenberg and Eric Brown, I want to increase your stature. I want you to be seen in a better light, however you want to define that, in a more positive light to be more effective, to get more done. And, and two great people, you know, who, you, who you'd like to put on a pedestal around here. Yeah. yeah, but every local host committee has had great people. That's true. But having that as an explicit goal of saying, I'm invested ensuring right. that when we leave, you have... This place has got momentum. More power, more momentum, that you can get more done, that you have more tools at your disposal. And when you begin to create a partnership with as an explicit goal for your partner and for the Congress, so many things went differently and better. So I'm keeping that. And actually, I'm I'm pretty proud of it. I, of course, didn't come up with this on my own. Somebody told me this. But the one thing I'm good at is hearing a good idea. I was like, that's good. I'm taking it. I have no ego in that. I think the old Colbert show, Stephen Colbert used to call it the Colbert bump, right? When someone would come on a show and then like he'd sell a bunch of books or whatever. (laughs) So the idea, we, we hope when we come to a place that we get the CNU bump, right? Yeah. Like a year from now, there'll be great urbanist projects showing yeah. up. There'll be, yeah. there'll be momentum behind uh, good urbanism when we come to a place. So one example of that is Tuesday night, Kevin Klinkenberg ran a regional forum. It was free and open to the Savannah area residents. He he did all of it. What's the agenda, marketing, and everything. And it was around what will Savannah downtown be in 2033. And of course, folks who came in from all over to attend the Congress were there, but it was mostly packed with local area residents and they could see all of this other and they're like oh Kevin and everybody loved it It, you know people streamed out of there and they said it was amazing and I hope this is true that Kevin will be able to do more faster better achieve more you know because of the work both Kevin and Eric but this is uh, Kevin's work will be able to do more as as a result of that so that's one that's one you know small change but I think it it has an amplifying effect I'm going to continue to ask you hard questions. Part of the backdrop of any project like you're working on is the whole conversation we're having in our country today, which I think we would agree is in many ways kind of dysfunctional, particularly the further you get from the local level. What's the conversation we're Uh, having? There's so many of them. There there are so many of them. (laughs) But I I think a lot of the the national dialogue, I mean, we, we deal with policy. We're dealing with public policy we inevitably have things happening at HUD and EPA and and legislation in Congress that takes up our intellectual thoughts and and time and energy. One of the great things about CNU has been so much of the stuff that's going on at the local level. How hard has it been for, for you and for the organization just in general to kind of walk this line between what is really, I think, some new frontiers at the federal level in terms of And I'll just say for my part, craziness of discourse and and maybe dysfunction of discourse and the good people on the ground who are are very, very diverse. I mean, we have people from deep red states and and deep blue states. We have people working in very conservative places doing the development work in government. We have people in the private sector in very blue states doing things. What is the fine line that you walk, that this organization walks in that whole, you know, conversation? For me, it's actually not a fine line. It comes down to an equation. I'm a realist. I'm practical. I want to, I'm GSD. I want to get stuff done. 
So where can you find the path of least resistance to get as much done as possible? So every single action that CNU does, I run it through an equation, X being the amount of effort, whether it's my time, staff time, resources, but the amount of effort has to equal at least 2X impact. And, and greater. So if it, a minimum for us to even begin to think about it is X equals 2X, you know, 2Y, whatever, but there's, there's a double amplifying. And if it's 10X or something, then absolutely. Because everything you do has a certain amount of brain damage, a certain amount of struggle, or a certain cost I get that all the time. Why don't you do this, 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 and this? And it's like, even if we had the money to do it, we, the mental bandwidth of pulling something like that off. And, that, and that's why my, my little equation, I'm able to quickly, quickly assess uh, okay, it's going to take this amount of effort. So, so many things over the last year have been an easy yes, and people are kind of surprised. I've gotten right. so good at doing this math in my head. You know, Joe Minicosi, do the math. You, you and me pulling off an event in D.C., on like two weeks notice. You called me up, you called me up and you're like, Lynn, I've got this crazy idea. It's like, it's not crazy, done. You pitched it to me. I made the decision within 10 seconds. I ran it through that equation. Right. We called up a couple of people and we just had it done in no time. Right. And there was a few things in retrospect I would have liked to have done better, like have our CNU banner there at the reception, sure. but that's around the edges. But it was it was a great event and it kickstarted a broader or reignited a partnership with the American Conservative. It had been there in place before with John Norquist, but it wasn't a partnership that I had, and it reignited. And since then, we've done one or two. I know we've done one. I think we've done a, another event with them as well. Fantastic. But but it's that, right. so it's not a fine line to me at all. I'm a realist. I want to get things done. So do new urbanists. We always find the way where we innovate. How can we get more done? We pract- we're practical. Where are those levers of change where we can amplify our efforts? When I'm hearing the craziness going on at the federal government and funding and whatnot, in every crisis, there's an opportunity. So when funding, federal funding shuts down, well, what's happening at the state and local level? And can we begin to amplify some of the changes that we wanted to see? So much of what new urbanism is about and city building and place building is about leveraging different investments. And, and infrastructure, if you're putting in any type of infrastructure investment, how can you get it to meet multiple community outcomes? Because money is so tight, we no longer have the luxury. This is what you talk about all the time. We no longer have the luxury of putting in a transit line that serves just moving people from point A to point B. It now needs to meet mobility options at the same time serve as economic development outcomes, at the same time serving as a community gathering place for people, at the same time as creating a place et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right, right. Chuck's I, nodding. It I was have, a hint for me I, to move on. No, no, no. <laughs> I've asked you this question every year. And I will tell you, I've been, I've been dissatisfied with your answer every year, mm. although we keep circling back to it. And I, 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 I know exactly what's coming. Okay. I always ask you, is CNU about having like the Green Berets of, of planning, the kind of like elite fighting force that intellectually goes in and takes on these really kind of hard on the periphery of the, the, the practice challenges. And we're the ones who go where no one else is going to go. And we get there first and we figure it out and we lay the groundwork for everybody else. Or are we this kind of broad big tent membership movement where we're trying to have thousands of people who, you know, can kind of help us. And you've always answered yes we're both. I have, I have a different answer this year. I, I'm, 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 you're four <laughs> years in now, and, and I, I want to hear that. 
Well, because this is a hard. I, it's going to be. It's going to be deeply unsatisfying to you. That's fine. I'm going to say I don't know. Sure. I don't know. My board doesn't know, and I don't believe the members know. Right. If you ask that question to a hundred members, you will get a hundred different answers, and I believe that that is a problem. One of the things that I greatly admire about Strong Towns, and I watch you from afar to steal your good ideas, sure. just to be perfectly honest, <laughs> well, good. is I, you I, have I, a narrowly defined mission and a narrowly defined, not narrowly, you have a clear mission and a clear implementation strategy, and that is we, producing- We say no to 80% of things that come in the door. And yeah. that, that has created tremendous results. I mean, look at look at your, your analytics, look at your, your invitations for speaking gigs, membership- all sorts of different outcomes. And CNU also has had an uptick in, in all of those things. But what I'm tracking is is impact. And I talked about this in my president's report. You're yeah. probably here and you didn't hear I it, et cetera, here. et cetera. <laughs> but, but I did a call for action because I believe we don't know. I believe that we have plateaued over the last 10 years. I believe that we have lost steam and lost the broader vision. If in 1993 we were formed to remove the barriers to good urbanism, we achieved so much in 2008. And since then, we've been plateaued. And I think in large part because of the economic conditions. But now we're revitalized, re-energized, reprovisioned. What is the next goal? I had this great graphic of Everest where we got halfway up the mountain. And then I was like, all right, what's what's the next goal? And this is a very common transition or evolution for a mission-driven organization. And the example that I used today in my talk was the March of Dimes was formed in 1932 to eradicate polio. When polio was eradicated, they didn't fold up. They pivoted to protecting and enhancing maternal and infant health. Audubon Society was formed over 100 years ago to protect birds through the plume trade. Now, they're still protecting birds, but looking more deeply at environmental issues. They've gone through several mission, not mission changes, but evolution. Teach for America, founded to to place teachers. Now it's the education reform. 1993, CNU was founded to address the barriers for urbanism. And in 2018, it evolved to what? And I challenged the entire membership to send us tweets, CNU Future. What's the big vision? And what are those levers of change that will that will amplify our message most quickly, that we'll get a hundred or a million times amplification. So the hashtag is CNU future. I'm not looking for a hundred tweets, although I think at the latest count, just since the president's report, we're, we're at about 250. I want thousands because this evolution, this major kind of next step CNU 2.0 is not something the CEO can do. It's not something the board of directors can do. It's not something the founders can do. It is something that we collectively have to define. I'm really excited about it. I'm terrified of it. And you are in part why we're doing it because you keep asking me this question <laughs> and it nags at me. Uh, and I actually really appreciate your answer. I've, in, the, in the past, I've respected your answer the way that I respect the queen. No, I mean, seriously, I've respected the answer in the sense that you are in a really complex situation, balancing many things, but I've never felt like comfortable with it. I'm actually more comfortable with an answer of like, I don't know, but I'm recognizing that there's big trade-offs between 
different approaches. So the policy wonk that I am, uh, I'll reveal a little bit of the behind the curtain. I've been reading books on how to lead an organization through this evolution change. So I'm just not spouting out. This has been months in the making. Right. My, my president's report today in the call for action. We're forming a guiding coalition that is made up of certainly board members, but also longtime CNU people, new voices. Where, where are those um, centers of power within the movement? Where are those voices? We have to have a significant significant number that are, you know, non-old white guys, right. right, that reflect the growing new voices. And at the same time, we need young people. So this guiding coalition, um, and there's a nine steps, again, Policy Walk, I've been reading up in it. It's probably going to take 18 months to two years. I'm going to be as transparent as I can with all the members. We're going to do it all by tweet. We live streamed all the plenaries. We try to do Q&A by a Twitter waterfall. Again, this isn't something that is top-down. It is also not something that is bottom-up. So if the membership comes up and says, we need to just fight suburban right. suburban retrofit, I was like, no, the next mission is much bigger than right. that. Is it, and I gave out three examples to provide, like the is it that we're going to achieve a nation of neighborhoods? Like, let's think bold and big. Is it a walkable world? Right, right. Is it an adaptive America? That is is a vision. These are visions of where we need to go to the top of the mountain, not suburban retrofit. Suburban retrofit, climate change, looking at social justice becomes paths. Mechanisms, that, right. Yeah, and now yeah. think of it. If, you're, if your goal is to achieve a nation of neighborhoods and now you're fighting climate change, you're addressing climate change, you now know how you work on, how CNU works on climate to achieve that goal. So you've asked me that in the past and I'm like, oh, both. I don't know, but I now know for me, there's a huge sense of urgency. We can't move forward. We can't be effective in what we do until we answer that. Savannah is gorgeous. And I feel like it's an obvious place to have a CNU. I mean, this is just like logistically, I'm sure that you have gone through a lot and your team has gone through a lot in putting this together. It feels very seamless. And I feel like it feels seamless because the city in many ways is kind of seamless Dallas was maybe logistically a little bit more of a struggle because of the layout. I think there were things we learned there that were great. There's things to learn here that are kind of a different variety. We're going to Louisville next year. I Good. try to say it the way they say Louisville. it instead of Louisville, the way that I would have said it from Minnesota. Louisville. Yeah. And the Twin Cities the year after well, that. Well, I was just going to get to that. I, I didn't want to gloat. I didn't want to gloat. We're going to be in your backyard. We are going to be in my backyard. You are going to be one of the hosts. If you think you're tired now, honey, <laughs> you don't know tired. So are we going to do a, uh, a, a like a tour of the Brainerd Taco John's neighborhood or anything like that? Can I can I get people on a bus and drive them up to my hometown? And if you're have pitching them walk me a tour and, and you want to know, the answer is yes. <laughs> So you, of course. if you come to CNU 28 in Minneapolis, you can, you too can go see uh, the park that Are I... Are you kidding? We're probably going to have Taco to... Johns, we're probably, the, you're such a rock star, Chuck. We're probably <laughs> going to have to have two buses. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's funny. But, so, you know, but, but, but I want to I answer another unasked question of okay. how do we choose the cities in which yeah, to yeah. go? So Dallas was handed to me as a decision, and we learned a lot from that. And I think the number one criteria of choosing a city going forward is that it's a place that new urbanists want to explore yeah. and learn from. Yeah. 
I, I, that and everything else we, you work out. Right. I, I think that has to be it. Right. And we've never been to the Twin Cities. And, no, and there's really. amazing things going there's on there. actually some really cool stuff. There's amazing yeah. things. We're talking about the Twin Cities, but it's you. And there's some really interesting um, issues going on in Louisville. Uh, Louisville. Um, and, and you can say Louisville. We, we're, we're, I know you spent time in Russia and da, 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 but where are you originally? Like, <laughs> upstate New York, Rochester. Upstate New York. Rochester. So you're, you're a northerner, you're Yankee. Like, so we can say Louisville amongst <laughs> friends. <laughs> the thing that I'm really excited about, uh, Louisville is the tension between city versus new towns and the suburbs. Yeah. Um, one of the changes that I have seen happen in the Congresses is an increased focus around cities and the special challenges that cities face. We're focusing much more on social justice, equity, and access to opportunities. How do you invest in areas that have seen decades of disinvestment in a way that rises all boats? I mean, a lot of these nuances. And yet at the same time, there are still a lot of people who live in the suburbs. David Tomes has a TND. And it's still that Norton Commons, it's still the only new urbanist TND in the region and it's been built for 20 years. He continued to make money and to sell houses throughout the recession when none of the other corresponding subdivisions did and yet still he hasn't been copied. So what I'm looking forward to exploring are two issues in Louisville. One, this, it's not an either or, it's an and. You have to have strong suburbs to have a strong city and I think that message has been lost a little bit. And then the second, um, Louisville has Olmstead Park it has a ring, you know, the, it's not like Boston, but they have a number of Olmstead parks. How do you leverage these natural beauties and the waterfront within your city? So these are some of the issues we haven't addressed before that I'm hoping to dive into, as well as all the fine-grained um, urbanism, the waterfront, Hope Six Project, redeveloping Portland, you know, suburban sprawl. I, there's a lot of very interesting things going on. Well, I want to say thank you for not only the opportunities you've given me to be able to, to podcast from here and to share the message. And, and I had a session this year, which was kind of fun. It was actually a lot of fun. It was a core session. You're videotaped. You're going to be part of our library. Oh, really? Oh, oh that's yeah. Fantastic. The core sessions are really important. They're, they're, uh, so what you participated in is all, like a day-long learning for local governments that they can just stay in that room and get grounded. Oh, sweet. And we choose different topics every year. And now we have a library of about 30 and I just hired a guy who knows how to pull them all together. We're going to create uh, short videos, like 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. Some may be longer, some may be shorter. You know, uh, Chuck Marone may have two or three from your talk, as a for example, and blast it out internationally. Wow. Nice. As a library. I'm going to go get set up for the debates, which are super exciting and lots of fun. A great way to kind of get towards the end of the Congress. I wanted to tell you, I've been on the road every week since February. Next week, I'm completely off. The week after that, I've got one week on the road, and then I got the summer off. You spend summer with your kids. I spend the summer with my kids, yes, because they're they're home from school, and uh, I, you know, totally my life works, that. and I get yeah. It's it's actually a difficult trade off during the school year because I'm gone often, but uh, during the summer it really pays. It off. is. It is. Uh, I just want to take a pause here. I think it is so hard to do what we do and yeah. to excel at it, and to have children in your life. Yes, be good, decent parents and, and husband. You know, like I, my really poor hard. wife. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that week in between, I got invited to speak in Latvia. 
I have uh-huh. never been to Latvia. Have a show. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I mean, I've not like. Pretended. Are you going to be in Riga? Yes, in Riga. Yes, <laughs> I've never pretended that I could learn any of it in time to go because I only got the invitation like three okay, weeks ago. Okay, here's you need to know a couple of things. Okay, okay. <laughs> all right. You want to go get a drink? Yes. What what is this? You're tapping okay, so the side of your chin. I am tapping the side of my chin because okay. in World War One and right before World War One was the White Revolution, or maybe the White Revolution was immediately after. Apologies, I'm not forgetting. No, it was it was, fought, uh, right a, it was it was right after. Well, it was after the Bolsheviks took power. And so there it was, was the it was, it was right after. It was if during you, World War One. If you fought on that, um, yeah. your uniform or whatnot, you had a mark on your, and only if you fought on that, you got a mark on your okay. neck, and it wasn't a tattoo. Too, but it was an it was abrasion something, from the uniform, so, something like that. Yeah, so yeah. you would walk into a bar and you would point to your neck ah. that you're a part of it, and you got free ah. alcohol. You got a beer on okay. the bartender Do you, because they have Mountain as a, Dew. As there, a, you, no, so <laughs> now you know, almost a hundred years later, you say to your friends like, "Let's go drink." It's a way ah. of saying, "Let's go drink." I'm giving ah. you the, like the down the, the low. local vernacular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And paka is well, and they speak Latvian, and I'm giving you Russian, but paka yeah. is goodbye. Okay. Right? Just, you know. Okay. Paka. Privet is hello. Okay. That's I will it. try that. Now, there, there's a... There, I can also tell you, like, how to go screw your mother in Russia. Uh, yeah, I don't... <laughs> I'm going to try to avoid all that. Um, I only get to be there for two days, so it's going to be, like, very quick. Or, like, three days, including travel. It'll be very quick. I'm fascinated by it. There is a little tension between Latvia and Russia, though. I mean, a the, little I can, huge yeah, like, amount of tension. Like, <laughs> oh my God, it's huge. And if I, if I, I mean, I'm not there now, but just I read the newspaper every day when I'm not at a Congress. I would imagine that the Baltic states um, are feeling incredibly nervous because of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Right. And, Yes, some Ukrainians um, w- who had strong Russian descent weren't weren't upset about it. Um, some Ukrainians were very. It's it's a complicated, it's a complicated si- situation. Right. Yet it still was very unusual to occur because I I personally viewed it as an invasion. So now the Baltic states, I'm sure, are feeling incredibly nervous that Russia under Putin will will go in. Sure. Um, because what most folks don't know is in uh, the winter of '91 before the coup of 19. 19- when the tanks rolled in Moscow in August and the whole coup happened and Gorbachev was out and and, uh, and Yeltsin was in, is that the Soviets went into each Baltic capital and shut down and took over the capitals and wow. they burned. Yeah, yeah. And it was it was like on the brink. Are we going back to a type of civil war? And they came so, so in. This is memories people will have. In there, because I remember. Yeah, I, I mean, I graduated in '91. I remember when the the Berlin Wall came down. I remember yeah. when the tanks were in the in the uh, Red Square. I was there. Yeah. When you the were tanks there, were right? There. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that my mom actually. Anyway, I would imagine that tension exists. It's an historic tension. Um, everyone's very nervous uh, about Putin right now. And if if I was any of the Baltics, it's like. Are, are we safe? Are we protected? Well, but I'm again, I haven't to, been there. Anxious so. to be. I'll let you know. Yeah, My know. Uh, dog, Koshka, 16 years old, passed away in December. I know. Um, she was a sweet, sweet puppy. But that was like our last tie to a, a Samoyed. We actually wound up getting a pound dog. And he's like a half Sharpay, half Lab something. He's a crazy in-town kind of dog. 
uh, as opposed to one of those sled dogs that you got to run for four miles a day. So uh, I just want to, I know you saw that. but Oh, uh, I love Gryffindor. I think he's hilarious. <laughs> you know, I have a dog. He's Gryffindor like, is my, hilarious. I miss my son. He's 15 and a half now. Um, I will say some days I miss him a little bit less uh-huh. um, because he's 15. And right. You remember being 15. I totally, yes. Okay, I love my son unconditionally. Yep. But the one thing that we have in common is I'll text him. I was like, is the dog still furry? Like, yeah. send me a picture of the dog. Like, yeah. I miss I miss my dog. I miss yeah. my son, too. When I see the dog, I much actually prefer the son over the dog. But when I'm away, like that furry the, body. The relationship with the dog is a lot less complicated. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I find, you know, because I have 11 and 13-year-old daughters. And those are complicated relationships. Oh, I don't think it's really begun no, yet. No, I kind of fear that. <laughs> thank you, Lynn. Chuck, thank you so much. Again, anything that you need from the Congress when you're here, happy to provide. And I actually want to really sincerely take a moment and acknowledge all your tremendous efforts, not only in in the message you get out in Strong Towns, but everything that you do. I think you're an unsung hero, so I want to sing your praises. Well. That's very kind. Thank you. We do we do what we can to build strong towns. That's what we're all about. <laughs> Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Taking risk is a necessity to becoming rich. It's also a necessity to go bankrupt. Bill, 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 Bill. That's the story. They know that America's one big pothole right now. Just to echo what you said, there are no silver bullet solutions. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Oh, the city! The window is not always open, but if nobody's pushing, then once the window opens, there'll be no chance to go through. I like you. I like your vision of the the world. The United Nations Earth Summit. Agenda 21. Yeah.